Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. A digital company thinks differently than a physical company. Most of us are both. And so you have to go with that perspective of the one that is the most vulnerable, which is why we take the same approach to all tier levels. All right, welcome to a solution showcase. Today, we are gonna be talking about automation and the automation journey that Tivity Health has gone through. And specifically, we're gonna talk a bunch around the security automation as you're making this digital transformation, making sure that you have the right software-defined architecture in place so that you can maximize the use of your team and maximize your assets and as well as move fast and protect those assets as you move. So great conversation. We have Sarah Richardson, Chief Digital and Information Officer. We have David GM Bruno G, who's the IT operations for Tivity Health and Shane Allen, who is with Rubrik. And uh, my name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a set of channels dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. We wanna thank our sponsor for today, and that is Rubrik. We also have, as part of this, there's a download you can go to, go.thisweekhealth.com slash rubric. It's a great white paper. In fact, I downloaded it and read it this morning, how healthcare organizations can develop an effective ransomware remediation plan. Great document, great handout worth reading. I learned a bunch from it and I think you'll get something from it as well. So take a look at that. And now onto the show. Today, we are going to be doing a solution showcase and we're going to be highlighting the automation journey that Tivity is on. We have Sarah Richardson, Chief Digital and Information Officer with Tivity Health, David GM Bruno, affectionately known as G, who is the VP of Infrastructure and Ops at Tivity Health, and Shane Allen, Platform Solution Architect. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. I feel like I'm learning more and more about Tivity every week because we just had a webinar with you guys and it was a phenomenal conversation. But I'm really looking forward to this one. We're going to talk about the automation journey, but clearly with what's going on in the world around ransomware, anytime we're talking about architecture, we have to talk about security and we're going to be talking about that as well. What I'd like to talk to you about, Sarah, you come in, you're sort of looking at the environment. How do you think about digital transformation as you're looking at the environment from a leadership perspective? It's a bit two-sided to a degree. So there's the part of me that before I take on any assignment, internally, externally, et cetera. Cause I mean, I had a great job when Tivity showed up on the doorstep as I call it. And I had to seriously evaluate, do I want to leave an environment where I'd been for five years, establish teams, establish work streams, et cetera, and go do something new. Before, at least at this phase is in our career, before we say yes to something, it has to be compelling to be able to do something new and different. We've all been doing turnaround plans. We've all been doing consolidations, EMR upgrades, like all the things we've done before. I'm in a space where I'm like, I don't want to do something I've already done before. And that was sort of the value proposition as I brought in all three of the VPs are net new. G is one of them. We have two others. One has been here for 17 years, thank goodness, because she remembers where all the things are buried that we need to avoid in the future. There's that space that says you have to do something you've never done before. And when you bring the individuals together with these diverse and incredibly capable backgrounds, you get to 
I'm just gonna make up the word exponentialize that in and of itself. And so when I looked at Tivity, I asked a very honest question, what's the maturity level of IT? And I was given a number and I said, what's our appetite to improve per number per year kind of thing. And I was given an honest answer. We're tracking to that. We're able to start to accelerate components of that because of the introduction of technology with a plan for automation or automation from the get-go with the ability for people like G to run in the direction that you know and create new capabilities at the same time because I trust him, we trust him, we as a team are trustworthy of one another to say, you can even be a little bit experimental over here on some of these pieces with our partnerships with people like VMware, with Rubrik, with AWS. We get to play as much as we get to produce. That's a pretty unique space to be in with a team. It's a pretty unique space to be in organizationally to have the trust of your peers at my level and my boss who's the CEO as much as the trust and capability of one another to deliver on those ideas. And so we go in with a plan that says, this is the minimum viable that we're gonna get out of this. And it's still pretty exceptional based on industry standard. We set ourselves to two and three X higher than that on what we're actually gonna deliver. So we set an expectation that's very reasonable and very approachable. We always endeavor to outperform ourselves. And that's that lens of like curiosity and creativity that has to come with the confidence to really drive true change in an organization. That change is the underlying factor of any kind of transformation you want to do digital or otherwise. As a leader, one of the things that we're always looking at is how, do, how can we be the most efficient that we possibly can be? And this automation journey really helps us to address one of the biggest expenses we have in IT, which is constantly adding staff. I remember, especially my analytics team, they would come to me every year and want to double in size because healthcare has an insatiable appetite for creating reports that they'll only use once. But that can happen in operations. It can happen in security. It can happen in a lot of different areas. Talk about what the, the design principles were as you set off as the IT leader activity. So if you kind of think about it, it was, if we can't automate it, we don't need it. And so it was a fundamental premise and it was kind of fun, Sarah and I going back and forth because I look at it as a conveyor belt, right? So you kind of onboard a technology or a capability, you put it on the operational conveyor belt to automate it. So then you can add more, right? Because to your point, if you don't automate it, you're just going to have to keep stacking everything. And then you add people, you add complexity. So the thing that we did, I think, incredibly well was automate. And part of the foundational stuff is DR, right? Business continuity. I've got a history of doing it in real life. Like I've been through it, right? So I've had a, I've had a factory blow up. So I know what it's like and what it means. So we started from the ground up, essentially building all this automation capability we talked to, you know, I kind of mentioned VMware, but rubric and automating the DR, so we don't have to think about it, is one of the foundational qualities. And the not think about it is on two levels. A, does it work and can recover? Because we look at as we should have three to four buttons, whether it's a file, a server, or a data center, or an application. We don't care. It's the same process. And if for some reason, a multi-layered approach to security, something happens, we've got the ultimate undo button, right? So we have the ability to unwind and restore if we get breached and have ransomware. So taking away the fundamental fear while introducing capability, right, is really foundational. You free up time, you reduce risk, and you end up having good conversations with leadership teams. Fantastic. All right. So 
Shane, I want to talk about Rubric a little bit because the last time I had a show with Rubric, we were talking about don't pay the ransom. That was the moniker. And I'm looking at some of these stats from the white paper, 350% increase in ransomware attacks in Q4 of 2019. And I would imagine that number hasn't gone down much. FBI estimates cyber criminals will earn over a billion dollars in ransom. Advanced ransomware now targets backup files, delivery via a range of mechanisms such as phishing emails and exploit kits, et cetera. And it, it just, it sort of lays out the framework. Why is automation, why is rubric in this conversation around automation? It would seem to me it's really around security, but what are organizations looking at rubric to automate and to protect within their environments? Well, they're looking, they're looking at protecting everything within an environment. Obviously, we started many years ago in 2014 with a zero trust architecture. And on top of that, when we came to market, we were API first, meaning that everything someone could do within our UI, they could programmatically do through, say, PowerShell or Python or something to in integrate Rubrik into the software-defined data center. So you take that, the automation capabilities of Rubrik, and then we've added a whole bunch of data observability on top of Rubrik. So you know when you can talk about data security, and now we can very quickly go into Rubrik. Rubrik can let you know what's happened to your data and then be able to surgically recover any type of files or applications very quickly. So when we talk about ransomware, the whole key at ransomware is to be able to, one, know what's affected, make quick decisions, and then recover quickly. So th those are the key pieces of Rubrik to allow companies to react to a situation that maybe other companies that don't have this visibility into the data can't recover in time. Yeah. So gee, let me come back to you. I mean, there's a lot of people listening to this going, that's, that's pretty amazing. That software defined uh, data center, having a set of APIs, you can program in there. You can have alerts come from one system, kick off a process and do those kind of things. And then there's a group of people that are hearing this going, yeah, but my gosh, my legacy environment is not going to allow me to do a bunch of this stuff. How did you make that transition? How did you go from the legacy that exists to making this a reality, a software-defined architecture that can be automated? We moved to a full SDDC. Once we were there, I have this unconventional view, which I'm sure will go over super well, but fundamentally, I don't tier recovery. I just copy everything. You end up copying everything, and in an enterprise, it's a spaghetti chart, right? I have this great, like one, this one visual is, well, this is what the back end of a company looks like, right? If it's over 10 years old, it's just like literally thousands of connections. And so the dependency model is horrific. Breaking it all apart and trying to stack rank it is hard. And invariably the tier one has somewhere in its, its application supply chain, a requirement for a tier three or tier four. So instead of trying to blow your brains out, we literally just copied everything. And when we did that, it gave the opportunity to use the automation and app flow that they have to automate all the recoveries. So there are some like, especially particularly databases in some of our apps, you have to have the steps, but the data is already there. If the data and the application is already there, everything gets way easier after that. And so the ability for us to, to automate and we're literally at the point where it's a help desk function. It is not an engineering function any longer. That's how automated it is. And that's always my goal is to, if something bad happens, we had an app server bar for a couple of weeks ago. It took us longer to do the P1 alert than it did to recover the server. 
and it was done at the help desk level. And then, and then I've been bugging Sarah, did it count as a DR test, right? <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's, that's a good point. I'm gonna if, get the w, if, if by the time you're notifying people that there's a problem, you've solved the problem, is that really an outage? Well, so people notice. So the rule is if they don't notice, I don't call it an outage. Yeah, that makes sense. They don't see it. And to Sarah's part, we're getting there. I mean, that's not far away for us, right? Where it's completely transparent. And that kind of leads to the digital transformations. If you're going to run in the digital world, the metrics and how you hold yourself accountable change greatly because you're now exposing essentially the user experience that people have had or grown used to. Your internal infrastructure is the same as the external. So you have to think like a cloud, act like a digital application. It's the user experience. It's the uptime. You're tied to revenue. I'll argue that even, you know, kind of DevSecOps, we're more GitOps. We're moving into the GitOps world where everybody lives in a in a Git. And, and to kind of Shane's point where everything's going to live in a CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous deployment, where everything's turning to code, where we can fire our application into our data center, into AWS. We really don't care. But at A, it's backed up the entire time. B, it's essentially immutable with the rubric platform. So as we get into that digital space, we don't really even care about recovery. We care about the code. We care about the data is there and that it's immutable, but to rebuild an app, to redo anything, it becomes super easy. And then we start using rubric for analysis and additional like signaling. Do we have somebody in the infrastructure or something weird going on in our data? adding the layers of defense in depth, right? Because we're kind of in the mutually assured destruction world of cybersecurity where everything ratchets up every day. Yep. And so the combinatorial effect of that is us being super fast, the ability to make things not matter where Sarah doesn't have to think about the infrastructure or the data or the recovery and that people can look forward to, again, put time into the transformation and not time into operations. Shane, I, I want to come back to you because G used this whole concept of immutable file system. And, and one of the reasons that enterprises are unable to recover from ransomware attacks is that the backups become a compromise, which forces the IT teams to either pay the ransom or restore, which can be time consuming as we're seeing with a current ransomware attack that's going on. It's now three weeks without the EHR. T talk to us a little bit about the native immutable file system. What is that about? And how does that help at least expedite the recovery from a ransomware attack? Yeah, sure. That started with our initial design. We call it a bunker in the box. We built our own file system and our own file system doesn't have the ability to change data once it's written to that file system. And we don't expose that file system with traditional protocols like NFS or SMB to the network. So we're not like a storage device where the backup application just dumps to us. So once we bring data into Rubrik, we do CRC checks and fingerprints of that data. And only after those checks is that internal writer service be able to write it down to our file system. Our file system is never exposed to the end user. There's no access to it. People can't see it. We don't have we don't have the ability to delete it. And we put all these other things in place on top of that file system. We can't run third-party apps, right? We end-to-end -end encryption between the nodes. So the zero trust architecture, we don't even trust the nodes that talk to themselves. So everything is TLS designed. TLS signed between the nodes. We secure the logins with TOTP and MFA. 
And on top of that, we have retention lock on those backup policies to where no one can reduce the frequency, reduce the retention or pull objects out of that backup policy. So once an object lands in a rubric, it's immutable on that first copy and we can guarantee the recovery of it because no one can accidentally delete it early or gain access to it through the UI or the admin CLI or any other method. And the only thing that can delete that backup, that backup object is that SLA policy saying expire after X amount of days. So that was some of the inherent design back in the day in 2014 and make sure that things land on rubric can be recovered. That's fascinating to me as a former CIO. I, I wish I had something like that back, back in the day. But as I'm thinking about this, one of the things that happens in a ransomware event is we start to restore and we're actually restoring files that have been manipulated or infected, right? right. How does rubric address that challenge? They addressed it with everything that Rubik does, everything we bring into Rubik, we index. So you think about it, we index all the file systems. We know how many files were added or changed, modified or deleted. So now we have that data observability. So now we can start watching the data. And so we can see that, hey, if a large amount of change happened, a lot of files were deleted, and we see this anomaly, we'll start looking at the entropy of the file. Has that file been encrypted? We'll let you know if that file has been encrypted or our systems have been encrypted. Not only that, we have the ability to now take and look for IOCs of an infection across the backup history of back within the backup appliance. Say, if, if I have been affected by something, go ahead and look for the signatures of that backup and find the clean backup that I can recover from. So oh, no, only can tell you the point at which the files became encrypted. And if we go to that point, we can also look at the history across and say, when did that system, when did the payload come onto that system? And let's restore it right from that point. Yeah, that's fascinating. Sarah, the world's changed. And you're not nearly as old as I am. Today is my birthday, actually. So I'm actually older. But uh, the world's changed. I mean, I, back in the day, I remember I was pushing my team to get rid of the tape backups that were in our data center because we had a person dedicated to swapping out those tapes. We had robots and stuff, but we still had to swap those tapes, send them over to Iron Mountain and do that whole thing. Has that whole process just changed the way we think about backups, the way we think about restoring? And what's driving that? Well, the modernization of technology is it's always going to drive it, a capability to take that next step. What we all fail at or have historically is keeping up with a technology that allows us to be as safe as possible for a given moment. Everybody's got budget constraints and everyone's got capital, OPEX, humans, et cetera. But I do. I remember the days when heck, I went to the county hospital. It was my first healthcare job. And we backed up our data, but the safe was still on site. It was just another building. I'm like, that's not exactly safe. And so I remember saying, well, we couldn't just call Iron Mountain for that. And there's a space where we've all evolved. So the other space too is like, are your vendors evolving with you? Are they creating the solutions that allow you to move into that next generation, the next capability? If you're not constantly curious, you're not constantly aware, you may not know that you can use rubric to be as safe as possible in a ransom space. There are other, and there's very few others that give you that same capability, but you have to constantly stay up on it. And you have to then prioritize your spend in different scenarios. Like when G and I got here, there wasn't DR. And I hate to admit that publicly, but you're backing things up. We weren't backing them up in a way that was going to be recoverable. It was literally backing up to the same data center. We're like, that's not disaster recovery. <laughs> because if a meteorite or some other natural disaster came your way, unlikely in Phoenix. So you really have to think about the diversification of your assets, of the way you wanna do business, of the way you want your teams to function. One of the things I love about what Gene and I talk about is jobs need to be about keystrokes and the automation capability that it's not about the elimination factor of certain functions, it's about having people do new 
and more accretive work towards where the organization is headed. A digital company thinks differently than a physical company. Most of us are both. And so you have to go with that perspective of the one that is the most vulnerable, which is why we take the same approach to all tier levels. Heck, back in 2005, when HIPAA became a thing, I remember going through painstaking spreadsheets of business continuity and business impact analysis charts of what do we recover when? And even 15, 20 years ago, those aha moments of like, oh yeah, but this system needs this one to function. Even back when it was just the code and not API calls and other pieces that were tied together at that level. So unless you're always looking at that next action you need to be taking, you're never going to be good enough. You have to constantly be thinking about how you partner to make things better. So we always are bringing our vendors together to say, hey, we pick the three of you to be our footprint. How do you best function together? Some of the best conversations you have are when your three top vendors are all in the same room solving things together with you. And it's not a one size fits all. There's uniqueness in all of us. So how do you meet those needs effectively? I'd love the fact that they have to, your vendors have to partner with you and keep evolving. I'll also say time, right? So tape won't make it. Right. The speed and the amount of data. The volume of data. I had a, when I first was going to get rid of tape, it was one of the funnest discussions I ever had. Right. Cause I was like, we have 12 robots. The recovery time is 25 megs a second. We have 1.2 petabytes. It's about nine months. Is that okay? As a CIO, I can't tell you how many times I did math problems. It's like, okay, so this much tape, this much bandwidth, this amount of thing. Let's yeah. do the math. Here's the math. Is that okay? Yeah. No, it's not okay. And then as you roll tape forward, if the way we have not only crazy data generation, but data-driven applications, right? Even APIs, service models, they all require data. And so you have to have the data wherever it's needed. So in a DR, no matter what your model, if your data isn't there, you're not recoverable. You can try and you can wish really hard. So whatever you do, whatever your model is, your data has to be there. And so that's part of the rubric choice was we replicated everywhere. So wherever we need to recover, it's there and available. We can solve almost anything if all the data is there. All right, so as a former CTO, here's here's some of the design principles I've heard you guys talk about at this point. One is the immutable file system, I think is is critical in terms of protecting against the, the types of attacks that we're having today. One of the things I heard early on from UG was we've turned it into the help desk does the restore. It mm -hmm. used to be that has to, that had to go through the bowels of IT and multiple conversations to get to that point. And now we've automated it to the point where somebody can press a button and say, oh, that's not right. Let's restore that. And we don't have to go to the expert because the experts already weighed in and put the code in there and the automation in there. So it's accessible by someone who doesn't have to have 10 years of architecture experience. And now we've freed up that, we freed up a lot of things. One is we've restored a lot quicker because we hadn't, we don't have to go through the bureaucracy and the change management and stuff, we just do it. But the other thing is we freed up that very limited resource, which is those time. highly skilled experts and their time. And now they can work on even getting ahead of the next thing that can be automated, whatever that is. 
So those are some d- design principles I've heard. Software defined, I think, is another design principle. Software just moves faster than hardware, right? Well, we just talked about the tape backups. And you start, it's abstraction. So I'm not married to hardware any longer, right? So whether it's in my data centers or in my cloud, I can just move it. Yeah. As long as the data is there, right? I can make it work pretty much anywhere. So gee, the last uh, time we got together, you said the quote, the reason God could create the world in seven days is because he didn't have legacy. Yes. But that is one of the problems. And, and this gets to what you were saying, Sarah, in that we need to evolve. The attacks have changed. The speed of business and the business change is getting more rapid. The dynamics of the attacks are getting different. So everything about this is agility, speed, security, and it used to be, well, hey, you can move fast, but then you're going to, if you move fast, you're going to compromise your security. In today's day and age, it's got to be all of them, right? It's not, you got to move fast and you got to move securely and you got to be able to change. So in a digital transformation, the ability to do experimentation is huge, right? Because you're you're going to try new things and you're going to have to go from I think to I know. Right. And you're going to do things that haven't been done before. And there's no playbook. There's no best practice. It's literally kind of OJT. So one of the things that the, and you've been circling it is our ability to copy our environments and try new things. So whether it's refactoring, whether it's replatforming, I can now recover into an environment and try those things super safe. And I just hit the delete button after if it doesn't work. So what? Yeah. All of those constraints that, that you had as a CIO and the CTO get moved, right? So I can just make a copy. I can launch it. I can play with it. I can try things. I can experiment. No big deal. Super easy. And that's a huge geometry change in time and effort. Yeah. So if you're a CIO sitting there saying, I don't have dev test prod set up for some of my major systems, essentially, G, what you're talking about is dev, dev test prod for the entire system. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's incredibly powerful. I don't need it to run at full capacity. I don't need that, right? Because almost everything's a logic issue now. Capacity is yeah. the test later. This is exciting. This is, a, I love I love nerding out on this conversation. Shane, what other things should we know that I, maybe I haven't hit on at this point? Well, I mean, I think we've hit on everything from data resilience, data observability, and data remediation. The key things that companies are looking for from a modern backup solution, being able to say, yeah, can I protect my data? What's in my data? And then once I have those decisions, how can I quickly recover from the data? And, it, and Rubrik makes that very easy. And to get to David's point, we're software defined. However, to set up a blueprint, to set up the recovery is rather, it's rather simple. Define what objects, define what boot order, define how you're going to fill them over, define what networks are going to go on. Makes it very simple for someone to say, I need to recover this application. So as it's taken and transformed, not just from a backup product, but into a product that companies can rely on to backup, safeguard the data and recover the data very quickly. This is an exciting topic. I love what you guys are doing at Tivity. Sarah, it seems like everywhere you go, you take them into the 21st century. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your automation journey. And gee, always great to talk to you. Thanks everybody for, uh, for being here. And if people want more information, again, you can hit that download. It's go that this, thisweekhealth.com slash rubric, R-U-B-R-I-K. 
and download if you want some more information. And you can also just hit the rubric website and find it there as well. So thanks again for coming on the show, everybody. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. What a great conversation. It's always fantastic to catch up with Sarah and then to have Shane and G there as well to really get technical on the new software defined data center was fantastic. So really appreciate them and really appreciate the conversation. We want to thank Rubrik, who is our sponsor for this episode, for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. And I want to thank everybody for listening. That's all for now. 